Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right. Wow. What a day, what a dollar. What a day, what a dollar. I only say that because I found a dollar on the street today. Did producer Doug take it from you? He does that with any money I find. Well, I did have to pay for something to him that i used my dollar for so i was pretty excited about it's always very suspicious that we uh suddenly have to pay things for producer <laughs> doug whenever we have money isn't it wasn't he the producer is this supposed to be the opposite yeah I, I think maybe his idea is that because we don't give him a paycheck he can just take any money we have we do give him a paycheck. That paycheck just doesn't have any money in it. Ah, there we go. I write him an empty check every week. That's different than a blank check. A blank check has no value. An empty check has zero as the value. <laughs> anyway, Zach, what have you been uh, recently been playing? Seth, recently I've been playing Red Dead Redemption 2, the cowboy game. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw. Originally released in 2018 by uh, Rockstar Games, Red Dead Redemption 2 is the prequel to Red Dead Redemption, uh, which is also a Rockstar game game and red dead redemption is the spiritual successor to red dead revolver it's unlike grand theft auto which has a relatively normal numbering uh the red dead series is a little odd the red dead series is a little odd but in any case uh yeah i've been playing red dead redemption too i think i talked about it ages ago i owned it back when you and i were starting this podcast so i definitely have had it as a recently played before and i know you for a fact had it as a recently played back when it came out on the pc in any case i've i've wasn't in the mood to replay the game i have a pc copy thanks to the steam summer sale and i've been riding my horse around and fighting outlaws it's definitely a fun game if you haven't played it you play as arthur morgan who is an outlaw that is also the enforcer for the vanderland gang and you complete various missions which include shaking down people who owe you debt or uh, hunting bears or murdering people or doing whatever cowboys do and it's also your job to keep your character alive uh, because you can easily be killed by other outlaws lawmen or just nature and <laughs> that is something that nature will kill you and they'll kill you pretty hard i i've had some fun times so far with this current playthrough i've been playing as a mostly moral arthur i think sometimes i can have a short temper as arthur there was one one moment where this guy was physically fighting with the reverend character who's this drunk reverend who is a member of your gang and the reverend got drunk and he is wrestling with some guy and you're you're supposed to go in and start punching that guy i I just couldn't deal with it so i shot the guy um and then i had to shoot a witness so (laughs) um because they witnessed my crime but yeah i think i think my arthur is just tired he just wants to he just wants to make some money doing some earnest earnest living so i do a lot of hunting and i sell furs maybe i'll start playing it Uh, i tried playing it on the steam deck and uh it ran it just also made the steam deck 190 degrees so it is a chunky game it's not something you play under the covers (laughs) unless you want to be in a sauna so the last time i tried to play it was when the steam deck was new so maybe i'll try and play it um now that it's probably been optimized a little bit for the steam deck by the community however it is still a very large game so it will still take forever to download which is always unfortunate it is a big game and i've even encountered some glitches running it on pc it runs smoothly on my computer like it runs like butter but there are some weird glitches i get into every now and then um one killed my first horse uh so i got the horse pretty early on in the game i named the horse horse because i thought that would be fun 
funny. And the horse got hit by a train because he didn't want to get off the tracks when I kept calling for him. And I didn't get to him in time. So I had to get a new horse. And my new horse is named Horse 2. He's the sequel to Horse 1. And uh, Horse 2 has survived so far this whole time. There's a bunch of side quests that I want to play. I'm not particularly like enthralled with the main storyline. It's a very rock star, like generic storyline. Yeah, but like when I played Grand Theft Auto 5, I beat the main storyline. I have yet to beat Red Dead Redemption's 2 main storyline. I think it's partly due because I think the world is so vast. There's part of the map you do not go to in the storyline that is just there. There's a whole chunk of map, including like two towns that you never go to in the main storyline. You can go to them if you want to. <laughs> They're just never in the storyline. Like it's a ridiculously big map. I just got to Saint-Denis, which is the... Uh, yeah, Nol- the New Orleans. New Orleans, uh, but it's not New Orleans. And the first thing I did was change my outfit because I looked like a cowboy. So <laughs> I immediately found something that was a bit more appropriate. I never change my outfit. I always dress with all the... So I go to the, the hunter and I try to put as many animal things on my face as possible. Oh, very good. So you look like a serial killer. <laughs> so I walk around with a wolf on my head and like crocodiles on my feet. Isn't your just... guy like constantly warm? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, sure. Because if you wear too many furs, doesn't it, isn't it like you are warm and your health will deplete? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll take it off. I won't like change my outfit because I'm in New Orleans. I'll just be like more naked. Oh, uh, fair enough. Anyway, Seth, what have you been recently playing? So recently I beat actually the game that we're going to be talking about this uh, episode. Ooh. I beat Dawn of War, the original. So I've been starting to play the expansion pack, Dawn of War, Winter of Salt. Technically Warhammer 40k, Dawn of War, Winter Assault, uh, which was released back in 2006. This expansion to the original Dawn of War, and I think we talk a little bit about this expansion in the episode, but it adds uh, two campaigns, the Order and the Chaos. The Order campaign allows you to play as either the Imperial Guard or the Eldar, and the Chaos campaign allows you to play as either Chaos or the Orcs. Technically, in the first few missions, you play as both during each mission, so you'll play as the Imperial Guard and then you'll play as the Eldar, and the Elder will be sneaking around helping the Imperial Guard a little bit because everyone hates chaos. And later on in the game, you decide who starts to win versus the Order and the Chaos. And so there's technically four endings, the Orc ending, the Chaos ending, the Eldar ending, and the Imperial Guard ending. And remember, it's Warhammer 40k, and we'll talk about this, but it's a grim, dark world, so nobody is good in this world. So it's okay if any of them win. They're all bad. I personally am a big fan of the Imperial Guard as an army in Warhammer. I've been actually reading Gaunt's Ghosts, which is, it's in the Black Library, which is the Warhammer body of work, and is about um, a commissar in the Imperial Guard and his wife as a commissar. It's very violent, well, his life is, but that's probably because he serves the Imperial Guard and everyone's life is very violent in Warhammer. But uh, I just really like their motif and I think they're kind of fun. It's very um, Soviet Russian kind of motif where the Imperial Guard just believe in we have more bodies than anybody else so if we throw more bodies and tanks we'll win and there's actually a, a squad leader you can get in the video game that exists in the real tabletop and the books and stuff like that yeah. called the Commissar and the Commissars are not officers of command they're officers in charge of diligence and they are tasked with making sure people are 
loyal and diligent to the Imperial Guard cause. And in the game, you actually can unlock an ability that is inspired. It's called Inspire Loyalty. And the Commissar shoots a member of the squad and that inspires everybody to continue to shoot. It's a lot of fun. I'm still early in the game. I'm not sure if I'm going to play through a just order and then go on to move on to playing the Dark Crusade or if I'm going to play Order and Chaos or if I'm going to see all the four endings. I haven't decided. Yeah. I'm kind of going through casually. I kind of do want to get to like Dawn of War 2 sometime this year maybe. Um, So playing through every iteration of Dawn of War Winter Assault, which arguably is one of my favorite Dawn of Wars. Um, It may not be the best use of my time, but I do want to do a little Dark Crusade. However, I do believe that I will spend the least amount of time in Soulstorm because Soulstorm doesn't, from my recollection, doesn't have a really good campaign, like a single player campaign. You could just play as every army and it's all just skirmishes, which is fine in its own right. But like, I really like the Warhammer series for the single player stories. So I'm probably going to play more of Winter Assault and more of Dark Crusade and then move on to uh, Dawn of War 2. Nice. I probably won't play Dawn of War 3. Fair enough. Well, today we are very much staying in the theme of Warhammer because we're going to talk about Warhammer Dawn of War. We'll talk a bit about the history of Warhammer and then a bit about Dawn of War as a game. And uh, yeah, starting off, we did talk a bit about Warhammer back when we had Brent on. Though when he was on, we mostly focused on Total War with uh, talking a little bit about Warhammer and how it relates to the Total War franchise. Right, because they had a Total War Warhammer. In terms of the history of Warhammer, Warhammer, the original game, started out as a tabletop miniature game that has been around for about 40 years at this point, first being published in 1983. The original Warhammer tabletop was inspired by a previous game that Richard Hallowell and Rick Priestley worked on called Reaper, which was a skirmish game for about up to 30 miniatures. While developing Reaper, they contacted Brian Ansel, who owned a company called Asgard Miniatures in Nottingham, England, as they needed someone to make these miniatures and Brian was someone who could help them. One of the ideas that they floated by Brian was developing a game that was even bigger than Reaper, and this led to the creation of what would become Warhammer. The first edition of the game was written by Brian Ansel, Richard Hallowell, and Rick Priestley, and was published in 1983. Uh, the first edition was called Warhammer, the mass combat fantasy role-playing game, and consisted of about three sets of rule books in black and white. These books were Volume 1, Tabletop Battles, Volume 2, Magic, and Volume 3, Characters, which broke down the core rules, the wizards and spells, and the characteristic stats, respectively. When the game was published, it received mostly positive reviews. In the magazine White Dwarf, one critic noted, if you regularly wargame with miniatures or have been wondering what additional fun you could have from your rapidly growing collection of fantasy figurines, then I recommend you check out Warhammer and let battle commence. Though one review from Dragon Magazine was less positive, with the critic pointing out that the manuals were full of typographical errors and grammatical issues. Another critic in the same issue of Dragon indicated that they felt while the rules were well organized, they suffered from issues stating that the rules were quote-unquote hardly a model of english usage or proofreading that's fun i think it's also fun is i i'm pretty 100 positive that at some point in time games workshop and white dwarf combine where games workshop buys white dwarf they're definitely in bed with each other and white dwarf is a uk-based magazine and warhammer games workshop is a uk-based tabletop game yeah dragon magazine 
I'm pretty sure is US based. So it could also be a little bit of a lost across translation as well. wonder if they were just annoyed by all the U's color spelled with U. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, a second edition was published in 1984 containing some revised rules, but more importantly, major clarifications of the original rules in the first edition. Now, this will set a pattern, but Warhammer, they release editions regularly. However, what's fun about Warhammer is that even in tournament play, you can play in whatever edition was the latest edition your army had rules for. So if you have a army that is last had rules issued for eighth edition, you can go up against somebody who's playing with like a newer rule set for some way, or they line up the editions, but you're able to cross editions with whatever armies they are, even in tournament play, which is interesting. I'm not super familiar with it. I'm just like familiar enough that I know that there's some interesting things that happen from Warhammer. However, in 1985, Brian of the Brian Ansel uh, became the managing director of Games Workshop, which was a British manufacturer of miniature war games. And he bought the company from its founders, Steve Jackson, the British Steve Jackson, not the American Steve Jackson, and Ian Livingstone. <laughs> now, before joining Games Workshop, Rick Priestley was working on a spaceship combat tabletop game called Rogue Trader. The game was intended to mix science fiction with fantasy re elements. Some of the gameplay elements of Rogue Trader were later incorporated into what would become Warhammer 40,000, stylized as Warhammer 40k. One of the intentions with the development of 40k was a way for the creators to take the original game in what they considered to be the opposite direction of the fantasy setting of the original. Instead of being set in a Dungeons and Dragons-esque world, Warhammer 40k is set 40,000 years into the future, where there is space travel, spaceships, and of course, space marines and aliens and all sorts of fun stuff. Though, in Warhammer Fantasy, they have the Skaven, which are my favorite race of creatures. Oh, th those are the, um, the, are those rat the, the rat people, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. the rat people. They're great. However, in 40k, they have the Tyranids, which are aliens, are also great. But because they have Tyranids and they have like orcs, they don't need Skaven, which makes me really sad because I really want Skaven in the future. Space I want future space space Skaven, but uh, no. I don't think we get into this at all, but there's a fun fact about orcs in Warhammer 40k that just needs to be known, and that is that they come from fungus. Oh, yeah. Also, it's spelled with a K. Yes, or, yeah, it's the British way of spelling <laughs> yeah. orc. But, and they also all have British accents. Yes, yeah, yeah. They all sound like they're British cockney-like thugs, and they all come from fungus, and it has been said that if there is any orc fungus on a planet then that planet is forever lost because there will always be orcs so i was reading a article or an interview with somebody and they said like what would you be if you were in warhammer 40k and somebody was like an orc because they are happy they have a great time they only go to war because it's fun and every other race is fighting and they're angry and they're just not having a good day orcs are just having a blast they paint things red to make them go faster and just that's just how life is it's just a grand grand day just don't be a snotling because then you'll get eaten the outfits of some of the figurines are great like they'll wear like these fun military hats and carry like double barrel shotguns <laughs> they're, oh like, yeah it's like some will just dress like pirates 
<laughs> in both 40k and, and I think the original. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Orcs are always just fun. Now, prior to the full publication of 40k, Games Workshop considered selling conversion kits for Warhammer Fantasy that would allow you to turn your existing models into futuristics models, adding laser rifles and other sci-fi elements. Ultimately, they decided against this in the end and marketed the game instead as an entirely new game. In 1987, the game was published as Warhammer 40k Rogue Trainer, which, with its initial rule, based on Warhammer Fantasy Battle. As the game was heavily inspired by Warhammer Fantasy, Games Workshop made the decision to mark it as a spin-off game. They also wanted to make sure that they weren't confusing players who were waiting for the original Rogue Trader, which is which, which was a fi fairly different from the final product. And in fact, Rogue Trader is still a game in its own right. It's owned by Games Workshop. It plays differently than Warhammer 40k um, and is set in the Warhammer 40k world. It's more of like a kill team style, I believe which is like a smaller group of miniatures um but they have rogue trader they have blood bowl they have some weird offshoot games that are not warhammer but set in the warhammer world and it's kind of fun yeah the inspiration for 40k beyond just general science fiction and the the fantasy elements of warhammer fantasy battle come from things like dune hp lovecraft in the comic 2000 ad uh, which is actually where judge dread comes from characters like the emperor of man was directly inspired by leto atreides ii from god emperor of dune in fact emperor of man is sometimes called the god emperor however as a as a fan of dune I will say, from what I know about the God Emperor in 40k, he's very different than the God Emperor in God Emperor of Dune. Because Leto Atreides II is a giant worm who hates himself. And the God Emperor of Warhammer is uh, mostly dead. Yes. <laughs> he's held alive by the sacrifice of a thousand people a day. He's kept alive so that warp travel can exist. Leto Atreides II also is kind of kept alive for warp travel to exist. He's one of the only people at that in the time of God Emperor setting that can produce spice. Uh, from his butt from his body yeah because he's he's part oh, worm butt. but yes his butt anyway for those who aren't familiar with warhammer 40k in terms of the actual game a typical game may take up to about five to twenty minutes to set up certainly could take longer depending on how many figurines you have and also how big your little map is and it can run anywhere from a half hour to 180 minutes of game time and those half hour matches i assume are more of like skirmishes while the 180 minutes one could be like a small scale war yeah onslaught is what i think the highest depending on um the scale of battle there's like three tiers of battle um depends on how big of a map you need so if you want to play an onslaught you need a seven and a half foot by four foot map the game is played in a series of battle rounds with each player having a turn divided into seven different phases this includes command phase movement phase psychic phase shooting phase charge phase fight phase and morale phase and what i like about all these phases is they're all pretty much self-explanatory yeah for sure uh, you could do weird things but that's really nuanced in the game within the phases now warhammer 40k first started blending into video games with the release of space crusade back in 1992 prior to this there were some games based in the Warhammer fantasy universe, such as the turn-based tactics game HeroQuest, based on the spin-off board game HeroQuest, which is a spin-off of Warhammer. Now, Space Crusade was based on a spin-off. It was based on a board game of the same name, um, also set in the 40k universe, and it's a 2D game set in an isometric view. This was released on the Amiga, Atari ST, MS-DOS, Amstrad CPC, Commodore 64, and ZX Spectrum. Later in 1993, a real-time tactical 
vehicle game called Space Hulk was released, also set in the 40k universe. And right. I want to say, I never knew until like a few years ago that Space Hulk, I used to see the name everywhere because it was always on sale on Steam. Never knew it was a 40k game. I just was like, that game is about a big guy in space. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't not make it the same thing. It's about a big guy in space. I like that there are like Space Hulk is still a, its own property, and it still gets like games recently released for it. The thing is that, and I think this is an important distinction. Forty K is not a game. Forty K is a is a setting. Yeah, it's a universe. There there are games within Forty K of which the most popular is the tabletop where you have battles, but they have other games in it. Space Hulk is one of those games. Same with Warhammer Age of Sigmar or the fantasy, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, it's the world of Warhammer, which is why there's a lot of books and a lot of video games. And a lot of the video games are sometimes Space Hulk where others are just dawn of war perhaps various games set both in the fantasy and 40k universe would be released and most took a i would say real-time tactics approach um or sometimes an action approach now it's important to note here that in 1994 blizzard entertainment released warcraft orcs and humans for ms dos while warcraft's gameplay influence was pulled more from games like dune 2 and herzog's way the aesthetic would certainly be compared to warhammer in fact Patrick Wyatt, who was a producer for Blizzard at the time, did state that Blizzard's intentions were to make a Warhammer game, but plans didn't come to fruition. Uh, the similarities would remain, uh, with a lot of the art direction from Warhammer being a direct influence on Warcraft. Similarly, uh, in 1998, StarCraft pulled out some visual inspiration from 40k, such as the depictions of Space Marines, and even where Space Marines come from. Except in StarCraft, they're more human than in Warhammer. In Warhammer 40k, a space marine, it's a that's a horrible thing. How they, they make space marines in Starcraft, it's just criminals. <laughs> yeah, and they're just dudes in suits pretty much. Yeah, I mean they're like steroid enhanced. Yeah, but that's pretty yeah, much yeah, it. They take a lot of stim packs. Jacked up and good to go. Yeah, but in Warhammer 40k, uh, they're like children who are abducted and then they get cut open and given extra organs and then they get given the gene seed because all of the Warhammer space marines all have a thing called the gene seed and they all have it from their primarch who is the main space marine of their chapter oh, yeah. and oh. so they're all brothers <laughs> one chapter they're not brothers they're all clones <laughs> so then you don't know who they are because they're all the same guy it's wild in starcraft they're all just uh confederates in space Th that's true <laughs> and criminals that's also true it's interesting actually zach had his notes the similarities end with star Starcraft, because Starcraft is set in the 25th century, not the 40,000 years in the future, and there's no god emperor, there's just Jim Raynor, which, honest, there is Emperor Minx at some point in time. And, and you could draw parallels because the Protoss are kind of like the Eldar. Yeah. And the Zerg are like the Tyranids. Yeah, they are, yeah. And the... Zelnaga, I believe, are kind of like almost like the Satan, almost, but mm -hmm. which is like the old ones in Warhammer, because the Zelnaga are supposed to be like this merged race between Zerg and Protoss or whatever. But that's not in Warhammer 40k. The Satan are like a deity race that the Necrons hate, and then obviously the Terran are like the Terran. But yeah, so th they are in similar 
similar veins with each other. So at this time, there were these, obviously these two very strong real-time strategy properties out in the market, uh, StarCraft and WarCraft, that were based on Warhammer and Warhammer 40K, but they didn't actually have any real-time strategy games set in these worlds, or at least modern real-time strategy games i i think like if you go back into the annals and we go back to like space crusade or something you may get something where that's real-time strategy ish i i looked and most of the games they had were real-time tactics which is different than real-time strategy for those who don't know real-time strategy primarily is involving the management of resources and the construction of armies while real-time tactics is less involved in resources it's more about micromanaging your units so i guess like the best example would be uh stronghold is more real-time tactics than you know warcraft which is more real-time strategy because in stronghold you're more of caring more about the uh micromanagement of your units when you're going into like battle stage um whereas in warcraft you have more of an economy but yeah in 2004 this would change because relic entertainment would release warhammer 40k dawn of war relic entertainment would get their start initially back in 1997 when they were founded by alex garden luke maloney aaron daly aaron Cambits, Rob Cunningham, Gary Shaw, and Shane Alfreds. The Vancouver-based company got their name because they liked the way it sounded and they thought it was easy to pronounce. Their first game would be called Homeworld. It's an amazing game. Yeah. Um, so they hit it out of the park with their first game. Yeah, they have uh, a banger right off the beginning. Which was a real-time strategy game published by Sierra Studios. And their next game, Impossible Creatures, was also a real-time strategy game published by Microsoft Game Studios in 2003. After the release of Homeworld 2, Relic would be acquired by THQ for $10 million in cash. The acquisition would wrap up in early May of 2004, and work would begin on Warhammer 40k Dawn of War. So in Dawn of War, there is a 11-mission campaign that is set around the Space Marines. Uh, you can only play as the Space Marines, which is why Winter Assault is cool, because it allows you to change your armies. But if anyone knows anything about Warhammer 40k, it's that Space Marines are the protagonists. Space Marines attack! Now, specifically in Dawn of War, you play as the Blood Ravens chapter in the Space Marines. Now, the way that Space Marines are structured, there's each Primarch has their own chapter, but there's also sub-chapters. Blood Ravens are a sub-chapter because they're not one of the original 20, and they exist in their own realm, and they only actually exist for this game. They were created for Dawn of War. Now, your main character, and you're not, you don't play as, you play as like the, like, mystical body that controls everybody but the main character in the blood ravens is captain gabriel angelos who's arrived on this planet called tartarus to help the imperial guard and there's this imperial guard colonel by the name of karis brahm and it's great because one of the first missions is like the imperial guard getting overwhelmed and then all of a sudden space marine drop pods coming in and space marines just rolling out and just killing everybody though the imperial guard are well aware space marines aren't necessarily a good th they're a good thing but they're also not a good thing because space marines will be like okay now we need to kill everybody 
everything. And if they feel that you're impure, they will also kill you. And the game unfolds in a very traditional Warhammer story. First you're fighting Oryx, then there is apparently Eldars that are also on the planet. What are the Eldars investigating? Oh, they're apparently investigating this artifact and trying to keep this artifact out of the hands of Chaos. And then the Space Marines are like, we hate Chaos. We're here until it's Chaos time is over. And then an Inquisitor shows up and is like, hey, a big warp storm's coming. We probably should like leave. And the Space Marine captain's like, no, we stay and kill everything. And um, and then you do that. There's a fun twist at the very end of the game. However, there are some easily foreseeable twists, such as the betrayal of uh, your librarian who ends up falling to chaos. But that is not a that's not a, a secret because every single cutscene has a chaos person whispering in his ear about how he needs to take power over so it's clearly that he's going to betray you. But yeah, so it's a fun game where you play through smashing things. I have a horrible, horrible strategy that I do in how I beat every single mission, and that is Dreadnoughts. Uh, So Dreadnoughts are a vehicular unit, which is essentially a almost like a Protoss Dragoon is what a Dreadnought is. Somebody's dead, and they're spirit gets shoved into a giant war machine and that's what a dreadnought is so you're capped on units of 20 units per infantry and per vehicle some units take up more than one unit slot so if you want to have a terminator squad that's four people or two space marine squads because terminators are super powerful i go from zero vehicles to having all dreadnoughts which take up two then i just swarm dreadnoughts which are very powerful mechs and there's also like predator tanks which are crazy powerful but there are four vehicle unit slots so do you want to take what four times five predators or do you want to have 10 dreadnoughts the answer is 10 dreadnoughts And so that's what my strategy is every single mission was to build the machines, then summon dreadnoughts. And then my ultimate strategy is then I build in, you get a deep strike machine. It's like a satellite uplink where you can like nuke people with satellites and also drop pod units into place. So then I would just drop pod a never ending supply of dreadnoughts. (laughs) And that was my strategy. And that's the, and the game, you know, it's a traditional, it it does have a twist, like I said at the end, um, but it's a traditional space marine story you view fighting everybody on the planet except the imperial guard you don't actually oh you fight them for a little bit but (laughs) (laughs) you fight everybody on the planet in terms of the gameplay the game is played like other real-time strategy games uh but with more focus on capturing and holding strategic locations on the battlefield once you capture a control point you must construct additional units and buildings to keep your forces in command of the point the winner of the battle is whoever controls a certain number of points for a certain period of time so to just kind of go over the 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 money, as it were. Dawn of War was right around the time period when companies loved to release a game and then release an expansion and then release a game again. I think I bought StarCraft like a million times because this was right around that same time period. Battle chests. Which is what they did, right? So they released the game in 2004. Then they added a couple of maps, released it again in September of 2005, called it Game of the Year Edition. Then after that, they had an expansion, Winter Assault, which we've talked about. They released that independently. 
Then they released it bundled with Winter Assault and called it Gold Edition. And that they released that in 2006. Then they released Dark Crusade independently. Then they bundled Winter Assault and Dark Crusade and released it as Platinum Collection. Yeah. Or they actually call it the Anthology in the PAL regions for some reason. Of course they do. Finally, Soulstorm came out. So they released that independently. And then they released the game again as the complete collection and this is still early 2000s where there was no digital distribution you had to buy pc games from the store in the big boxes so you could end up with a pile of dawn of war boxes now by early 2009 dawn of war and its expansions sold around 4 million copies upon release the game was met with immediate positive feedback the score game scored well 4.5 out of 5 from computer gaming world and 9.25 out of 10 from Game Informer, 5 out of 5 from GamePro, and 8.810 out of 10 from GameSpot. And the game was uh, highly praised for the skirmishes and multiplayer. Uh, however, the single-player campaign was criticized as being too short and not really a challenge, which is, since I just told you you can beat every level just by making a bunch of dreadnoughts and charging, probably evident for that. And that was on normal difficulty. Uh, they actually don't have easy difficulty. Normal is easy. However, nobody plays Dawn of War anymore, so getting a good match going would be difficult and arguably there's probably a more inclusive dawn of war game like i think if i was to play say dawn of war with zach i would probably want to play soulstorm even though soulstorm doesn't have a great single player it has all the armies so then we could play so you know zach can play as like whatever his favorite race is what is your favorite race i don't play a lot of 40k games so i don't know what what do you orcs yeah, I like orcs. I, th- I just think the concept of orcs are the best. I've always liked orcs, even in like other games their orcs are in. I like orcs. I do like that they're um in the Imperial Guard, and I believe also the Space Marines have Adeptus Mechanicus. So Adeptus Mechanicus are another faction of Warhammer 40k. Yeah. They are a fun faction of pretty much cyborgs, and they worship the machine spirit, and they don't actually worship the Emperor. They acknowledge the Emperor as the Emperor. <laughs> They say he's the emperor, but they don't worship him. They worship the machine spirit and they're in the Imperium. Anyone else who worships anyone else other than the God Emperor is killed. Oh, so they're just special? They're special because they maintain all the weapons. Yeah, that makes sense. So since they manufacture and maintain all the weapons, they can worship whoever they want yeah. because the weapons don't work if you don't worship the machine spirit. Yeah. But there are units in when you're playing as the Imperial Guard and when you're playing as Space Marines who are actually Adeptus Mechanicus units that hang out and like your builder units are actually they're not space marines they are uh either the servitor or the uh adeptus mechanicus which are the engine seer which are adeptus mechanicus units which i think is just fun because they they are their own army in their own right if you've decided to build them they have very scary robot machines now in terms of the legacy dawn of war would spawn a a franchise a sequel dawn of war 2 released in february of 2009 and another sequel dawn of war 3 was released in april of 2017 both sequels were actually positively received from what i saw dawn of war 3 scored the lowest out of the three getting an average of like seven out of ten from most of the uh ranking sites i saw there were also a trilogy of novels released by black library that were set in the dawn of war canon 
as it were. And that will do it for our Warhammer Dawn of War episode, which was more of just a Warhammer episode, but we're going to call it a Warhammer Dawn of War episode because that was the focus. Uh, We're going to get into our retro rewind segment. Seth had me play Outlaws. Outlaws was released in 1997 by LucasArts. It's a first-person shooter built in the Jedi engine, the same engine used for Dark Forces. You play as a former U.S. Marshal named James Anderson, who finds out that his daughter has been kidnapped by two outlaws named Matt Dr. Death Jackson and Slim Sam Fulton. Matt Dr. Death Jackson, fun fact, is played by John Delancey. Oh, that's fun. And those two outlaws were hired by a railroad baron known as Bob Graham. It's up to James to blast through outlaws and save his daughter. And it's a pretty fun game. I mean, it's first person shooter built in the Jedi engine, so it plays kind of like Dark Forces, except you're a cowboy. Um, So you get like a six shooter pistol and like a rifle and I think later you can get a shotgun and such. But it's it's a good time. Uh, I like that there are some unique elements to the game. Uh, for one thing, you can fan your pistol, which is cool. Um, so when you press uh, on my keyboard, I think it was bound to Q, but your guy would f- will fan his pistol so that it shoots quickly. And this is, you know, useful to clear out a room. Also, your character kind of locks onto enemies when you're shooting them, which is nice. You kind of can like go through a room and just blast people. Another fun thing is that you do have to reload so unlike in doom where you can just kind of constantly shoot your pistol until you run out of ammo uh you do actually have to reload your weapons which is kind of unique for this old of a game um so when you you press the r key your guy will load in the six bullets of a six shooter that's kind of neat and yeah the game is pretty fun overall uh it has some great lucasarts cartoon cutscenes that help to go over the plot um some great voice acting and it's just a fun game definitely worth checking out i think it definitely holds up you can pick it up on gog and it comes with a, a, the dlc pack called a handful of missions and it's a yeah a fun fun title to try out next week seth i want you to stick with lucas arts because i want you to play the dig nice zach had me play north and south by infograms uh released on the are you ready amiga atari st nes amstrad cpc msx ms dos commodore 64 and zx spectrum in 1989 zach had me play it on the NES. Uh, in it, you play battles in the Civil War, and the game's art style is designed after the Belgian comic Les Tuniques Blues. I am only assuming that Zach had me play this game because I had him play Steel Panthers. I, I think I got inspired by, like, Steel Panthers when I was thinking ah. of it, but it is, it is, uh, I've, I've heard good things about it, so, you know, I wanted you to play a good game. Uh, this game is a real-time battle action sequence. I actually enjoyed the art and the loading screen. You start off in you can pick all the different interactive options so you can change the date from 1881 to 1884 you can uh, in any year in between depending on the year you pick and the weather conditions can also determine like what your intro it could say like this is the year and this who who has the upper hand um you can change your weather conditions you could turn off whether or not you want to do battles or side-scrolling missions and you could choose to play as either the union or the uh confederates and you can also have it so that one player plays as the Union and one player plays as the Confederates. You can also do it as computer as well. So I uh, chose the Union and had the computer be the Confederates. And I got my Tukas handed to me because you have to control everybody in the combat. Uh, so you essentially, when you go into battle, it goes into a tactical view where you deploy your troops and you have your battery, which is your cannons. You have your cavalry, which are your horses, and you have your infantry, which are your men. And you have to control them all 
at the same time, but you have to change the buttons to control the one. So you have to, if you want to move your infantry up, you have to switch to the infantry, then you have to move them. At the same time that they're shooting you with their cannons, moving their horses in, and moving their infantry all at the same time, which seems unfair since they are a computer and can do everything at once, and you are a human, and you have to manually change everything. At the first battle, I got Wicked beat up, and then the second battle, uh, they killed everybody except two of my infantrymen, who I then used to chase everybody around and got them to run their people into the water until they eventually ran me over with horses. So I, I didn't do well. I lost. If I was in charge of the Civil War, it would have been over in 1881 and everyone would have been dead. Does it hold up? Well, it's an incredibly niche genre. It's not only is it a battle simulator from the 1980s, but it's also in like very quirky graphics. Um, I was mentioning to Zach before we started the episode, but uh, there is a, a photographer in the beginning of the game, and you can you can hit his butt, and he reacts to it because it's an interactive menu. Would I play it again? I'm not going to say no. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Um, I just felt like it was an experience. Uh, um, Zach, for uh, next week, you can play Splatterhouse 3, I believe, for... Uh, I think it's for... You can play for the, uh, the Genesis. Nice. So if you enjoyed that episode on warhammer dawn of war let us know send us an email to classic gaming brothers at gmail.com be sure to follow us on facebook classic gaming brothers instagram classic gaming brothers or twitter cg brothers pod uh, you can check us out on all the various podcasting applications out there be it iHeartRadio or Podbean or even itunes and uh be sure to visit our website classic gaming anyway seth is there anything you would like to contribute don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. Space Marine!